Good morning. Good morning. Wow. It's so good to worship Jesus together and to just think we are most in touch with who we really are. We're most human when we are worshiping Jesus. There's so many things we do throughout the week that uh, those are moments too. We're worshiping Christ. But there's something special about gathering together the people of God filled with the Spirit of God to do what is just, it's just what we do. It's what he made us for. We're, we're most in line with our purpose as creatures when we are just singing our tails off for Christ. So that's great. I loved it. And it's wonderful to have John uh, and family leading together a real family feel. I know not everyone got to enjoy their family this Christmas season. So maybe that's sort of bringing the family in. Oh, it's good. Um, so I want to say a special warm welcome, a Christmas welcome. Here we are sort of in between the two Christmas and New Year and sort of in this awkward what day is it of the week? I'm not totally sure. It's Sunday, as you guys clearly know. Um, but I want to welcome you guys who are here at Central Campus. You, if you're at, at home, in your living room, wherever you are, worshiping with us. Uh, my name's Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. I spend a lot of my time leading community groups uh, and would love to get you connected with one and our equipping ministries, our classes and things like that. But today I get to preach the Bible to you. A great joy. So, like I said, we're sort of here in between these two years. Uh, Christmas is over, New Year's is coming, and it feels probably just most natural for us in these few days to be reflecting back on 2020 and what a year it has been, and looking forward to 2021, certain hopes on the horizon, certain things that we maybe, uh, many things to celebrate about 2020, many things to lament, looking forward, what will our, our goals be? We want to, as the people of God, reflect rightly. We want to look back on 2020 and think, what is there to celebrate? What is there? All that. And we also want to look forward correctly with, with clear vision. We want to, that is, it's just as important to reflect well as it is to resolve well. What are we going to set ourselves toward this year? Uh, maybe you're one of those really type A people who sit down and you actually you write out, this is what I, I want to do this year, these are my goals, and so forth. Um, if not, maybe it's just something you sort of do in your mind right now. Well, Psalm 127, it actually seemed to be designed to lead us in that process. Uh, if you want to flip there in your Bible or scroll there on your phone, however you uh, prefer to do it, uh, we are beginning a series called Images of Renewal. And this will take us for the next seven weeks or so uh, as we begin to understand what it would mean for Parkview to renew us. And I, every week we'll sort of be looking at different parts of the Bible, passages that give us an image of what it looks like for God's people to be renewed. For a fresh wind of spiritual vitality, uh, both spiritual seriousness and deep joy, and uh, to know, perhaps at the deepest level, it is to be completely aware of God's love for us in Christ and what he has called us toward in the future. So, Psalm 127. And I'll be focusing on the first two verses here. So let me read that and then I will pray as we begin. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. We'll probably end up reading that about 15 times more, and you'll probably have it memorized by the end. It's nice to have just a few verses to look at. Let's pray that the Lord will do something wonderful today. Well, let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. You have not left us in the dark. That is probably most apparent to us in this season. You have brought us into the light of the knowledge of the Creator. We get to know who you are, what you love, what you don't love, what you desire for us, uh, and most importantly, just who you are. And Lord, we want to learn who you are and what you want us to do from Psalm 127 today. So will you do a new thing, Lord? Will you show us? Will you give us fresh and clear vision as we look forward? Most of all, just let us be sensitive to you. Do all this and more for your son's glory, we pray. Amen. Well, Parkview, what I want us to hear today from Psalm 127 and these first two verses in particular is this. To achieve true success, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. To achieve true success, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. In this passage, we see two pictures of human endeavor, two images of human activity, of, of, of work, of achievement. One that's blessed by God, and the other that we find out is not. And the first image we see is in uh, this first verse, in verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We also have to notice that um, what this passage is not saying. That might be the best place to start. This passage is not saying, unless the Lord builds the house, there will be no house. It doesn't say that. Uh, it, it's, it's painting the picture of two kinds of houses, both that have been built. Uh, but one has been built in vain, and one has not. It, okay, it's not saying, vain, it, it, unless the Lord builds the house, it will be torn down. There's no hint of that. What, what it presents to us is two houses, two cities. A house built in vain, a house not built in vain. A city that's watched over in vain, and a city that is not. That is to say, to look at them by all outward appearances would give you no clue as to whether one of them is significant, meaningful, eternal, and one is empty. They look the same. Same nails, same roof, same carpet, same sort of watchman, identical. But one of them is vain, vain. Trivial, hollow, empty, pointless, maybe. Not because it might be destroyed, not be, none of that. It's vain, it's not vain because it's vulnerable. That's the case with all houses. It's vain because it's not operating within the will of its creator. We get to our third example in verse 2. 
And this is where the pattern actually changes. Instead of there being two houses that look the same, two cities that, that look the same, we have two workers. In vain, it says, in vain that, it's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. It's not, it's not two identical houses, two identical cities, two identical workers. Now we begin to see a difference as we zoom in. One of the workers works a normal schedule. They, uh, you know, she wakes up, 40 hours at work or whatever it might be, goes home, and that's great. But the other overworks and undersleeps, uh, spending every ounce of energy toward the tireless effort of achievement. And we see exactly what is driving that at the end of verse 2. It says they're eating the bread of anxious toil. Anxious toil. Now, it's not, not sort of the clinical anxiety, not using that word in this way, but sort of it's, it's the, the image of restless activity void of eternal significance. Tireless achievement that in the end is actually irrelevant. Anxious striving hand-wringing hearts that don't actually produce something of spiritual meaning. It's, uh, if you have loved Bugs Bunny back in the day, or if you've spent any time in the desert, you might be familiar with the phenomena of a mirage. Mirage, you, you think of the, the, the person walking through the desert, looking for water, they're thirsty, they're thirsty, it's very hot. Maybe this sounds good, actually. It sounds kind of nice. But, no, it's bad. Because they walk up and they see just over the horizon, guess what? big pool of water, right? It looks great, it's enticing. They say, okay, I, I can only get so far because I'm so thirsty, but I will go, I'll spend my last bit of energy to go get to this body of water. And by the time they get there, guess what? It was an illusion. The closer they got to it, uh, the more they saw that it was not actually something that would fulfill them, that, that would satisfy their thirst. Now, we might um, be tempted to look at this first image, that a city, a house, they look the same, but only when you get closer. You, you might be tempted to, to read this and think, oh, this is a great message for my neighbor. I'll have to tell my buddy, because um, I'm very worried. But I want to point something out. I don't know if you noticed, but where it says Psalm 127, it says a song of ascents there at the top. Now, this isn't made for mountain climbing or rock climbing or anything like that. Uh, what it's talking about is that three times a year, God called his people on a pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple. And the songs of ascent were the songs that the faithful Israelites were meant to sing as they walked along. Uh, Jerusalem, city on a hill, ascend the hill, and as you're ascending it, uh, you would sing. There's about 15 of these in the, the, the book we call the book of Psalms, or the Psalter, and they're intended for people to sing them. That is to say, this is not a song written for workaholic pagans who they have to focus on their work because otherwise their life would have no meaning. It's not written for uh, so people who don't believe in God and so they have to look for meaning somewhere else in their life. This, Psalm 127, is work, written for law-keeping, faithful, diligent Israelites. It's written for people who aspired to obey God. God cares so much about this that he wanted his people to hear it three times a year as they walked. It would have been just embedded in their, in their cultural memory and from the time they were little. 
Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. You can have a house that looks great, that has all the results in the world, but is completely empty in terms of spiritual significance. And if that is what the Israelites back then needed to hear, we need to hear it too. All the more so as we enter this season of renewal, of in inviting God to build something of significance here at Parkview Church. Here's what we need to hear. Our, our methods matter to God. Our methods matter to God. Our hopes for the coming year, as, as you sit down to think of what does the Lord want to do in my life, in the life of my house, right? In the life of our city, in the life of Parkview Church, we must remember that visible results cannot be the only criteria for success because methods matter to God. Parkview, there is a way, students in particular, there's a way to build a GPA that, while completely within the rules, functionally denies God's presence and power in your life. There is a way in 2021 to build a bank account that is, follows all of the standard procedures, does everything completely legally and fair, but functionally contradicts God's heart. And there is a way to build a church that might appear successful, be completely within the rules, but is functionally atheistic. Our methods matter to God. What an important lesson for us as we begin to turn the page on this year and we begin to look forward to the next season of our lives, to the life of Parkview Church. Who will we be? It's time for some soul searching. We must remember that to achieve true success, we must not just do the Lord's work, we must do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. This passage mentions two houses, two cities, that on the surface they appear identical. Perhaps they're even thriving, they're doing well, and yet one of them is vain, empty, ephemeral, eternally a blip. Here is a more horrifying thought this year. 20 years from now, two park views, two churches, by all outward appearances, identical. New faces, new programs, new vision, new leaders, well attended, okay? It's a good, it looks good, okay? One of them is vain. Francis Schaeffer uh, was an American theologian who founded uh, the Labrie, I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, um, community in Switzerland in the 50s and was a really well-known evangelist and, and Christian thinker. Some of you are probably really familiar with him. Um, he wrote, you may know and uh, this already, he wrote a book called No Little People and in it one of the chapters was called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. So let me let you think no longer that I came up with that. Uh, but in it he said this, and this was in, 19, in the 60s, so cultural upheaval, lots going on, and this is what he said. He said, the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism or the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism or even the threat of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. All of those are dangerous, but not the primary threat. The real problem is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ individually or corporately tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the Spirit. 
The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances that surround them. Where do we find ourselves? It's a season to seek the Lord. It's a season to beg him to come in and fill our lives with meaning and purpose, lest we create something and build something that is vain. Uh, as, as John mentioned, the pastors, the elders have discerned this need to intentionally spirit, uh, pursue a time of spiritual renewal, of revival in our own hearts and in the lives of our church. And step one of any journey is to set your course. To set our course, our internal compass. Uh, or maybe if you are the younger type and you haven't used a map or a compass before, to insert our destination so our GPS can carry us there step by step. What are we aiming at? What does the Lord want to make of us? It's exciting, to be honest. It's exciting. Thankfully, our passage today does give us some answers. We don't have to just sort of say, oh my goodness, there's a chance we could really mess this thing up. He tells us what it would look like to pursue vitality. So, we have another image. Because in each case, we have the, and I've been focusing on the, the house that's built, but not by the Lord. The, the city that's watched, but, but not by the Lord. The, the, the worker that anxiously toils, but in the end is, is unsatisfied. The flip side of that is the house that is built by man, but is ultimately built by God. The city that is guarded, not just by the watchman, but by God himself. The worker who can rest knowing that they have done all that they have been called to do. In verse 2, we begin to see that difference, the difference between these two images. Because immediately, don't we say, what's the difference? Is there any difference? What are, what are we supposed to do differently that would, that would lead us into a church, a family, a year that has real spiritual significance that's not vain, that's real, touchable, feelable, it's real. Now, from a distance, the houses look the same, but then, as we saw, as we move in, these differences become apparent. At the one house, we saw the light is always on. Dark circles under the eyes. They are stressed beyond belief. Almost no matter what the circumstances seem to hold for them, uh, they're just stressed beyond belief. And at the other house, they are asleep, peacefully resting. Now, there's much more for us to understand from this than to say, oh, well, the key is to sleep. Now, what, when we think about sleep, isn't it funny that God has created us, filled us with his spirit, and given us many good things to, to set our hands to, and then he causes us to be unconscious for a third of our lives? Just, do you ever think about that? I mean, probably about the same time that you go to work every day, you spend about that much time completely unaware of whether the world is even turning. And God, guess what? He seems to like that. He thinks that's good. That's a good reminder for us to remember what, is, what we can do and what we just cannot do. This, this second house, when it speaks about the God giving to his beloved sleep, he, it's, it's something more that we can understand about sleeps. What does sleep mean? He gives them sleep. Well, at the heart of the one house, at the vain house, which this might not be what you would expect, but at the heart of the vain house is the restless apprehensions of a person who doesn't really ever think they can have enough. They must use every ounce of energy 
every bit of cunning and effort and every hour that they possibly can until they drop down to sleep uh, almost by sheer force of nature into their beds. Everything they can do to ensure for themselves a future of prosperity, protection, and significance. At the heart of the other house is the calm, unhurried, unharried peace of a person who is absolutely sure that they have a Father in Heaven who knows what they need and that they will be taken care of. Because, why? Because they are His beloved. He gives to His beloved sleep. If we want to be a church of significance, real power, true success, we will be a people who have buried our hearts so deep in the gospel of grace that we cannot help but walk around in the sheer gloriousness of the reality that God loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Beloved. If you're, if you're familiar with the Gospels, the, these four accounts of the life of Jesus, we read about them in the New Testament. It's worth reading, and you've, you've probably, even as you read Psalm 127, maybe you can't help but think of uh, the place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this in uh, Matthew 6, if you feel like flipping there. I'll read it to you, though. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither seep, <laughs> sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not so clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. A house built by the Lord, a city watched over by the Lord, a worker who labors in the Lord, is at heart marked by one simple trait, a heart that rests in the fact that they are God's beloved child. Notice this does not mean not doing the Lord's work. Um, the house is still built, right? The city is still watched. The, the worker still seems to work. They, they both have bread, but one is not eating anxious bread. One is just eating and sleeping. But to, to achieve true success, to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way, and that means cultivating hearts that rest in the fact that we are God's beloved children. And I, I want to just sort of drill down into this because this is kind of the big point that we're working toward today. How do we have a year of significance? We look out into 2021. How will we make sure that we, when we get to this point next year, 
that we can look back and say, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what we were led into, no matter what we, you know, all of those things that we can't necessarily control, that we can say, the Lord did something meaningful. Well, two things I want to drill into about this, that we are the beloved of the Lord, that we are the Lord's children. And I want to call them prerequisites for renewal in this series of images of renewal. And those things are neediness and nearness. Neediness and nearness. These are things that characterize the heart of one who is deeply in touch with their, uh, the fact that they're beloved by God. So first, our neediness. We must be radically in touch with our neediness. Now, it's, it's only natural for us, uh, as people who just love the Bible and love to understand who Christ is, to confess, and we, have, we literally confess in our statement of faith, that salvation, to be brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ um, and into glory forever, that salvation is a work of the Lord. That is, we are saved not because of our effort, but because of God's grace that we receive through faith, simply by believing the gospel. God now looks at us, because we are attached to Jesus by faith, when he looks at us, he does not see any of the mess that we have made in our lives, and we have each made plenty, I will say first for myself. He does not see any of that. When he looks at us, he sees the perfection of his son. This we call the gospel. And it is such good news. Not just at the one moment when we say, Lord, I despair of all of my efforts. Please receive me based on Christ's work alone. But every single day, we have received everything that we need in him. Uh, Ephesians 1 says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is, when, if we want to be people of prayer and come before the holy God who really owes us nothing except for to reject us, we don't just go and say, oh, well, I'm glad I was saved and now maybe I can do my best and one day God will listen to my prayers. No, the question for us as Christians, as people who really believe we've been saved by grace, is when we come to God in prayer, the, the question is not, have I done a good job this week? And so he'll hear me? Or uh, did I do that thing I know I should do? Or have I, do I feel like he's near to me? The question is not, does God hear my prayer? The question is, does God the Father hear Jesus' prayers? And if the answer is yes, then it's yes for us too. He has so wrapped us up in his goodness that God cannot even see our mess anymore. And it has happened by sheer grace. None of us did even 0.1% of it. Now, we affirm that's true. Yes? Amen. It's not just true in the first moment of your Christian life. It is true at every point. And this is crucial. It is so easy to begin the Christian life by recognizing that level of neediness, that level of, I have nothing to bring to this, you did it all, and then only to, only to turn around and get to work completely relying on our own power. Francis Schaeffer says this, doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is not a matter of being saved and then just working hard. We must be radically in touch with our neediness, not just to begin the Christian life, but to take any meaningful step forward. If, if that's true at the individual level, how much more true is it at the corporate level, at the, at the level of our church, at the, in the level of our households? If we will pursue and truly pursue renewal as a church, we must be radically in touch with our neediness. It, it must be one of the first things that people notice about us. 
whether they're here, and maybe you're here and a visitor, uh, it's just be one of the things you talk to people and you go, wow, these people are humble. They just, they have no confidence that they can do anything apart from God. Neediness. It's, it's not just at the, at the moments of great decision or the moments of great big stress or the moments where we need sort of a superhuman, supernatural power or a supernatural wisdom or a supernatural help as if those moments only come around every once in a while in the lives of next year or in the lives of our church. Francis again says, there's no source of power for God's people except Christ himself. So the first prerequisite for renewal is that we cultivate a sense of abiding neediness. God knows we're needy. It's, it's really just a matter of recognizing what we are. He says, to the, hum, to the extent that we do not humble ourselves, there will be no power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How can, how can he come and work in our lives if we're, if we're so busy at the controls? So we need to recognize and even cultivate a sense of our nearness. This is a good thing you can do right before going to bed at night. Do you know, if, if, as this seems to be indicated to us, sleep is one of the ways that God teaches us on a daily basis that there's just really, we can't do it all. <laughs> we really have to give things over to him. There's a way of going to sleep that really puts your soul to bed. Think about making that a habit this year. And you lie down to sleep to really confess, there are things that I'm anxious about, and now I have to go to sleep and be unconscious for the next eight hours. There are only so many things I can do, Lord. I hand them over to you. I, you'll make sure the earth keeps spinning and you will take care of these problems as well. I'm going to sleep. Cultivate neediness. Secondly, cultivate a heart of nearness to the Lord. Uh, the wonderful thing is that God's power that we're so urgent to have and so urgent to seek in our, in our lives, in our church, to build something wonderful, God's power is not something that he sort of lends to us, as if it's sort of one of those big candy bars and he sort of breaks off a chunk, hands it to us and says, this should be good for 50 or 60 years. If you, could just, if you need more, come back. I'll give you some more. No, it doesn't work like that. Uh, it's not sort of a measured dose of power that he can sort of give to us uh, apart from, you know, him. He is actually, it's much better news than that, uh, he's actually given us 100% of it. Every ounce of power, the power that called every single star into existence by the word of God's voice and that raised Christ from the dead is now the power that lives in you. So that's great. Uh, and he has not only done that by just giving us 100% of it, how has he done it? Well, God's power cannot be separated from his person. So how has he given us that power? He's filled us with his spirit. The same spirit that was in Christ, the same spirit in Christ is in us. And so if we want to cultivate the sense of God's nearness, we don't need to look around, we need to look inside because God has given us his spirit. We need to develop an abiding relationship with God the spirit. Since his nearness, we must listen to what he wants to teach us in the Bible every day. Did you know that you can't really make heads or tails of anything that's in the Bible at a meaningful level unless the Spirit reveals it to you? Anytime you've learned something from the Bible, actually learned it, not just, by the way, here's a good example of what it might look like. You can read, I can read Psalm 127 and have it never really changed my life. It, to use the example of the Bible, unless the Lord teaches you the Bible, the reader reads in vain. 
It's just, that's just the facts. So when you sit down, listen to what he wants to teach you. He is our teacher, Jesus says. He is our teacher. We must obey his urgings in our lives. We must rely on him to empower our obedience. In moments where you feel uh, temptation, in moments where you know what you want to do but realize it will be very, very hard and cost you something, lean on the Spirit. We must be in constant communion with him throughout the day, seeking him, asking that we would feel his presence, know what, what pleases him. And in fact, what's wonderful is uh, because the Spirit is in our lives, we can actually know what the Lord is doing. And in fact, that's sort of the, the heart of this passage and I think should be the heart for us is this. The builder was building a house that the Lord was not building. The watchman was watching a house that the Lord was not watching. And so for the question for us is how can we live and work in line with what God is doing? That should be the question for us this year. What is the Lord doing? What is the Lord up to? What is he doing in 2021 in the life of me, of me, my family, of this church? What does God, what's he up to? And here, can I tell you something wonderful? God only does good things. He's doing something good. Sometimes good things hurt a little bit. Uh, sometimes they're just out, downright wonderful. What is the Lord doing? What is he up to? How can we align ourselves with his purposes in our homes, in our city, in our church? God is not hiding the answers from us. He has spent, sent his spirit into our hearts if we belong to Jesus just so that we can figure those things out. So let's make this the year of trying to figure out what God is doing and what is he calling us to do. And of course, most of all, God has given us a direct line to his own heart through prayer. And that is why, as John mentioned, one of the ways that I hope you will join us in responding to Psalm 127 and this sermon today is to join us in prayer. Uh, from January 1st to January 31st, we are intentionally seeking for the Lord to renew us, to send a fresh wind of his spirit into our hearts to obey Christ, to love him, and to see how wonderful the gospel is so that he can build something incredible here. Join us on the first, either in live stream or in person as we pray together, sing together in line with our created purpose as worshipers of Jesus, and, and seek the Lord. And each day we'll be having a Zoom call uh, at, at a certain time of the day at 7 a.m., and I hope you'll pick one or two days of the week uh, that you will dedicate yourself to praying together as a church. Um, we, if we are serious about this, this is what we will do. And ending the month on the 31st in prayer together. This is one of the most concrete ways that we embrace our neediness, is by asking God for what we need. And it's one of the most concrete ways that we embrace God's nearness by praying to him. So, we hope that you will join us and uh, we hope that God will indeed build us, build this church in his way, led by his spirit, so that when it comes to, just like we said, 20 years from now, we'll turn around and say, the Lord has done it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful for your spirit in our lives. We pray that you would do what we cannot do. We pray that as we go to bed tonight, or that you would do something wonderful, that you would remind us that you are with us, that you would remind us that you are powerful, 
and good and that we can trust you. And as we set out to make goals for ourselves this coming year, both for our individual lives, for our homes, our households, at work, and especially as we think of Parkview Church in this season of renewal, that you would do something marvelous, Lord. Remind us that you are with us. We are so urgently needy. (laughs) Remind us that we are needy. Remind us that you are near. Remind us that you have sent your spirit so that we can never say, I am utterly alone. You are always with us. Give us, Lord, we pray, a special sense of your presence in prayer and as we live our lives in radical neediness to you. Do all this and more for the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Thomas. Let's stand and respond to the word together.